Back in February last month, we hosted our first open call-in session where we posted up a link to a Skype meeting everywhere we could find it. This episode is part of the result of that session. Uh, it was a lot of fun, don't you think, Jamie? I had absolute blast doing it. Yeah, I had loads of fun doing it. We've got a really great response to the first one. I'm already looking forward uh, to doing the, the second one at the end of March. Um, we're getting a, real, a load of content out of it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to having more at the end of the month. If you called in last month and you don't, did not hear your audio uh, in this segment, don't worry, we'll be posting it up soon in, at some point in the future in whatever form that may be. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to maybe um, tag relevant conversations to the end of episodes or in the case with this one that you that you just about listened to, it was a big flowing conversation that we didn't want to chop it up. It just it flows nicely. There's four of us in this conversation, so we thought it worked as, a, as an episode on its own. Absolutely. And it was an absolute blast to do. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. If you are interested in coming on and chatting with us for the next one, uh, that is the 28th of March from 4pm till 8pm GMT. Uh, Keep an eye out for the Skype link. We'll be posting it in our Discord. We're posting it on the Instagram. Make sure you keep an eye out for that and join in. If you like what you hear and you want to take part in it as well, please come on and hang out with us. It'll be great. Uh, This audio has not been edited or cut um that's part of the appeal i think is that we want to keep it as genuine as possible um so excuse the drop in quality but there is a increase in authenticity which i think is something that uh, we hope you appreciate so here's the first offering from the first open calls session we're going to be doing it once a month we'd love to do it more than once a month um, but we really just don't have the time but remember that the conversation always continues on discord and on the instagram so if you want to get in chatting with anything and you don't get a chance to call in on the Sunday, which will be the last Sunday of every month that we do it, then please hit us up in the Discord or just jump in to the Instagram and comment on a post or send us a message and we will always chat about uh, whatever it is you want to chat about there. If you want to get onto the, the show, then here's your chance. As Henry said, listen out for um, more details to come, but that will be the time and the place. So come along and get involved. 28th of March, 4pm GMT. We'll see you there, guys. Here is a nice big chunk of conversation we had last month with our friend Bordy and our friend Ari. Enjoy. Stay hydrated. All right. How you doing, Bordy? You all right, pal? I'm good, mate. You all right, boys? Welcome to the human energy field. I feel energised. <laughs> what, what have you been talking about, boys? Well, we were just talking about... Um, we were just talking about June there, but um, we were going to hold off and have a proper conversation when the, when the movie comes out, you know, which is, I know is a while, but yeah, yeah. Um, we'll see what happens with it. Is it, a, is, it a, is it a film or a TV series, the new one? A movie, yeah. Is it? Is it? Wow. Yeah. But it's just a TV show coming out as well, Bordy. There's a TV show coming out as well, is there? Yeah, I thought Yes, Jamie, they're doing a Sisterhood TV show. They're doing a Bean Jesuit TV show as well. But the movie's going to be the big thing that you'll hear about, Bordy. That's the big one. Do you know what? I've never I've never seen the original. Dune film. Wow. Yeah. Mate, you'd love it as well. It's well, mad because saying that you don't like yeah. Detective Day, so who knows? Well, no, who knows? I'm 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 strange like that. I, I watch see I watch SEAL Team Six every week, but I don't like Team Detective. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I remember when it came out when I was a kid and I was like, wow, this looks amazing. I remember the do you remember the figures? Ah yeah, do man. They were like they were like yeah. between a Star Wars figure and an action man, they were quite big and they always looked really cool. And yeah. then I just never saw the film as a kid. And then whenever I've seen clips of it growing up, it's always the bit with the big sandworms and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're riding on the back of it. I really and, rate it as a film. Right, okay. I, I, you know I, what, I, mate? I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'm you know always what? It's, to watch it, and I haven't. 
it's it's unusual because I mean, don't get me wrong, it's dated, but you, you cannot hold that against every film, can you? But nah, totally there not. is a there is a quality of casting in there which is hard to ignore. Um, oh, I mean, I, I love Cal McLaughlin anyway. Yeah, yeah he's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, but like you know, Patrick Stewart. And, Patrick Stewart's in there, yeah. Um, oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'll tell you what, uh, put me off it. Fucking Sting as well. He's barely in it, mate. To be fair, Tan- tantric sex motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Although to be Jealous. fair, if I'm going to get on board with any version of Sting, then you know, Gingerhead, Future Sting is, yeah, yeah. is the one that I'm after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, he looks like he looks like a Harlequin, doesn't he, with that like high ginger hair? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? I'm going to watch it. I wa- I'm working away this week, so. Uh, I yeah, would it because it, it's an easy watch and it's got some it's got some interesting aesthetic um, tones to it as you would accept, uh, expect totally. from David Lynch. Yeah. But I mean, it's pretty dark. I think on a, when you watch it, it's yeah, it's yeah, dark moments. Can I listen to that? Um, do you ever listen to that? Um, uh, effectively speaking, podcast. No. Do you ever listen to that? It's like a podcast that this guy does. He used to be uh, a projectionist, projectionist in the cinema down in in like Folkestone, I think, or Margate, somewhere around that southeast coast and um he talks about the special effects from in different films like they pick Same. one film and he gets a special guest on and then they go through that film and they analyze the special effects in it and rate it and stuff and they always he's got like an instagram he's like a model maker as well and they're always talking about june on that how much to rate it so yeah i'm, I'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to dip in and, and watch it he also does a, a cool podcast um mad max in character where every week they analyze a different character from mad max <laughs> it's fucking amazing they started it in lockdown they're up to like episode 50 odd or something like that at the minute so one week they do Mad Max original then they'll do uh, the second one then they'll do Thunderdome then they do Fury Road but then go See. back to the start again It's. I want yeah. to hear the episode about Toe Cutter yeah totally yeah yeah I mean they've not done the big characters yet the first big character they did was Iron Bar from uh, Thunderdome but they're sort right. of ramping up I think this week's character that they're just about to release is uh He's Master Blaster, so I'm looking forward to that. That'd oh, be cool. wow. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a bad boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I want to hear one about the uh, the constable from Mad Max 1. You know, the geezer who runs the, the old rundown police station with the mustache. Mate. Right, okay, check this. So not only did they do an episode with him, huh? they interviewed him on the episode as oh, well. Oh, bad. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> that is nice. That Mad Max yeah. 1, man, it's underrated. I love that film. Oh, People mate, it's amazing. The first one. Oh, yeah. It's so it's, good. It's so dark. It's so... Grindhouse, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's almost—it's pretty much a horror movie, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like yeah, it, it's up there, isn't it? With them, you know, like Straw Dogs, them sort of revenge, Death yeah, Wish, yeah. the original Death Wish and stuff. Them. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously yeah. not as horrific as Straw Dogs or anything, but it's up there with that level of Grindhouse, isn't it? That early seventies. I, I know it's not the same thing, but I rewatched um, Dirty Harry for the first time. Oh, in, in about ten years. Yeah. I forgot how good it is. I mean, it is really good. Yeah, totally. So good, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, yeah. So, that, so there's there's dark bits in that, you know? Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, totally. Is, yeah, very judgy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is pretty dark, isn't it? What's, we, you, we, what, what's your thoughts on the uh, Judge Dredd, the original versus the the modern one? Oh, I love the modern one, mate. Yeah, the, the, that remake, that one they did with Carl Urban, I think is yeah. fucking amazing. Really, really good. Me, 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 me and Bolly went to see it at the cinema when it first came out. So we were lucky enough to see it in the 3D as well. Oh, right. Sweet. And it's, the way they used the 3D was amazing. It really, you know, when they're on that drug. Yeah, it slows that's it down. When the yeah. th- that's when the 3D kicks in. Oh, it's so it was so good watching it. Oh, so it's 2D that. until they take the drug, take and, then the drug and then it goes oh, into 3D. Sick. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's really good. smart. It's really well done. And Lena Headey's just a bad bitch, man. So I could watch her in anything. Yeah, she's yeah, totally. 
I think they were really brave as well. The 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 plot they decided to go for with having it all set in the one building. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I, I can totally understand logistically why they do it. Um, yeah. And I think they managed to pull it off because a lot of some com- common complaints I hear about it is that you don't see enough of Mega City. You know, and you don't. But but how could you? How can you? It's it's too big, isn't it? It's too much. You can. Yeah. They tried to do it in the in the Stallone one, and it. It's just like watching Demolition Man, isn't it? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel like 2000 AD. No, I think it's too, the the Stallone one is a bit too, it's a bit too American. I think. Yeah, it misses um, it misses yeah. the grit, doesn't it? Hasn't it got Rob Schneider in it as well? Yeah, it's like his sidekick. Yeah, it's, it's like a comedy sidekick. Yeah. Oh mate, well, that, it ruins the tone, doesn't it? I don't hate it. I mean, it's of a, I don't hate it. I enjoyed time. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I went to see that at the cinema. Movie. We went, me, me, our kid, and my cousin Wes went to watch it. And then afterwards, we snuck in to watch Bad Boys 2. <laughs> this was in the old days, you know, when there was no, like, security between ah, the cinemas. Yeah, so. I remember that, sneaking into screens. Yeah, I remember We watched that. that, and then we snuck in and watched Bad Boys 2 afterwards. Six. It was sick. It was a good night. <laughs> Bad Boys 2 is underrated, actually. It's a good film. Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen the new one yet, man, but Bad Boys no. 2 is sick. I, know, I noticed the other day it was on, like, it's on, like, a streaming service, so I might watch it. Yeah, let us but, know, man. I'll tell you what else I rate as well in that sort of genre is uh, Last Boy Scout. Have you seen that? With Bruce Willis. Uh-huh. Bruce Willis and I think it's Damon Waynes and Damon Waynes plays like an American football player and Bruce Willis plays this like cop and uh, it's about like underground betting and stuff like that. The first scene at the start of that is dark. It's like uh-huh. it's, it's on an American football field and it's like raining and this guy's like trying to get a touchdown. It's like pouring down in rain and uh, this guy goes to tackle the next thing. He pulls a gun out of his trousers and just starts shooting and every time he's trying to tackle him he just starts shooting him. And like scores his touchdown, like throws it on the floor, and then like shoots himself. And it turns out he's being like held ransom by like a like a betting syndicate. Wow! And Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans have got to like investigate. It's sick, man. It's really good. Oh, I'll check it out. Yeah, it's one of them. It's one of them films that like kind of disappeared. But yeah, yeah, Last Boy Scout's well good. Yeah, it disappeared like a lot of the Wayans brothers' careers, right? I'm exactly. It was totally. Early two thousands, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, I yeah so, it's yeah. probably earlier than that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, What's... I agree with that. Oh, and then body hits up with some of your favourite cyberpunk movies. Oh, God. Do you know what I liked? You know what I really enjoyed? I've not heard a lot of people talk about it. it. was that Altered Carbon TV show. Oh, do you know what? I went to go and start watching it the other day because, um, weirdly, when I was I was working through eBay and I saw the RPG, they've done a they've done a role-playing game for it. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. But and I thought, oh, I've never watched that. And I, I've now put it on my list to watch, so is it worth it, is it? I, I enjoyed it. I've, I've, I've said a few, for a few people to watch it, and, and I've had sort of like mixed mixed sort of reactions to it apparently it's on it's based on a set of books and i've never i've never read the right. books or anything but no and it's it's one of them ones that's got a, like a really complicated storyline but right. the way they do um the way i thought they did sort of like um sort of not cyber reality but the way do you know like when they're walking down the street in shadow run and and you have all like the adverts come on and stuff and yeah the way they sort of yeah you know all the, all the sort of perception and stuff and the way you can filter out the matrix and stuff that they did in it i thought was really good I, 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 f- I think it does work. It's it's a good TV show. Do you think it works well as well, a role playing game then? Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, I think it would because it's it's pretty complex and, and it's got a lot of different stuff in it, and it's got a lot of different layers to it. Right. It's all about um, it's it's all about um, what they call the stack, which is like a a thing that you have implanted inside yourself. So the richer you are, you you can have like these memories implanted in yourself so that you never die basically you just get a fresh body Got and it. implant the stack in the into your neck and you just carry on living in a new in a new form in a new body in a new mm-hmm. shell 
And then the, the sto- the, one of the stories is that these someone's going around murdering these rich people and incinerating the stack so they can't be put back into somebody else. Got yeah. So, oh, like, so basically trying, yeah, killing finishing them, them off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Like they, they sort of uh, have these bod- these stacks and they can transport them into these bodies that are sort of in waiting that have all like, all been like trained up with all these like super soldier powers and shit. So they like get transported into these bodies and they come out and they're like, basically like gi joe sort of thing yeah and wow. um yeah it's it's good it's it's a, it's a good little little score you get edgar Allan poe's in it as a as like a cyber like a cyber character in, in who owns this like hotel so that's pretty cool it's all little, little, little things it in it it's good i i enjoyed it and the other thing i tell it's not necessarily side pump but the other thing i've enjoyed is uh have you watched that tv show the expanse no but I people did. have been telling me to watch that yeah oh mate it's sick it is really good that is really that is one of the best like compared to like Star Trek and stuff like that is one of the best space space and in inverted commas like you know sci-fi TV shows I've ever seen. It's really really good. It's like gritty as well. It reminds me a bit of um, original Alien in the way that um, maybe mixed with um, Total Recall because he's like a colony on Mars, a colony in space, and then a right. colony on Earth. All humans, sort of, okay. a, a, a sort of like rival, rivaling each other. It's it's really good. It's really well done. Did you watch that um, Ridley Scott Raised by Wolves? Yes, I did actually. Yeah. <laughs> did I tell you the mistake I made with that? You did you watch the last episode first? <laughs> I watched the last yeah. episode. Yeah. Oh my! <laughs> Honestly, right? I turned it on and I was like, oh, this is good. You know, I yeah. love a show that doesn't pander to the audience. You know, <laughs> I didn't have a clue what was going on, but I was I was kind of picking up you know, who the characters yeah, yeah, were yeah, yeah, and what yeah. they were doing. And I was like, this is bonk as this. And then it ended and I was like, right, yeah. next one. Hey, <laughs> what? No, that was the end. And I couldn't bring myself to go back to the beginning no. because I literally just watched the climax. So yeah, I thought it was okay. Jen was watching it and I kind of was doing something else and watching it and I ended up, I think I was reading it, so I ended up putting my book down and then we ended up watching it all. I, I liked the way, from what limited I saw of it, it, it had some kind of real like philosophical themes to it, you know, totally. about, yeah, about yeah, life definitely. and humanity and all that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. And yeah. and I think it looked so aesthetically similar to Prometheus style movies that I can imagine it existing in the same universe, even though it yeah. doesn't technically, you know. Yeah, definitely got that feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. So even even from the tech and the way the ships look and and, and you know the displays and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looked really good. Yeah. But I'll have to check out Altered Carbon and the Expanse Man after. Yeah. And I need something new to watch anyway, so that. Yeah, that might be the thing to to, to watch. What, what other cyberpunk stuff do you think that's out there, Jamie? That's worth worth watching because there was a lot in like the the sort of like late eighties stuff, like um, Free Jack and, and stuff like that. It's absolutely bobbins, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Emilio Estevez, Cliff, Rich, uh, Cliff, uh, not Cliff Richards, fucking hell. The Gavin Rollins, Mick Jagger, Jagger. Yeah, let's do it. That's what he says. I, isn't it? That's I just, really, I really like that. I think it's a yeah. Cool movie. I I saw it when I was a kid. I, was, I went to see it on the pictures and remember not enjoying it but you think it might be worth re-watching now i think so i put it into this um this little group of movies from that similar time period do you remember um i think it's called maximum overdrive yeah yeah with me last of us the stephen king one yeah yeah i think that's really good that's amazing that, yeah it, it kind of ticks cyberpunk boxes for me yeah that. totally um and i think there's a there's a cop one called i think there's a called black rain well yeah yeah the yakuza one yeah 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 now yeah. i know it's not set in the future but for me, 
um, the way it looks and the way it's shot and everything, that to me yes. is a cyber cop movie. Shout out on that, yeah. It, it, Michael got, Douglas, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's got yeah. bike gangs. Yeah, and yeah, got, yeah. Like, you know, dark neon signs in the rain. Yeah. And it's very Blade Runner-esque. And, yeah, or that's, like Terminator that's a good one. Yeah, good film, that, that, yeah. It's brilliant. It's really yeah. good. The score is, the musical score is excellent. Yeah, it's um, dark, I, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, all that corruption and shit. And it's actually yeah. a good a good plot. It's a decent yeah, film. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I love that. I, think, I really rate that. That's got uh, a good. That that's Ray. got a good, good vibe. Black Rain, yeah. That's a good vibe for trying to catch Shadowrun. Actually, I've never thought of that. Shadowrun. Well, more cyberpunk than Shadowrun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know we're beginning to split hairs, but then that by default there isn't a lot of Shadowrun kind of stuff. Nah. Apart from um, what was that? Will Smith. Oh, Bright. Bright. Yeah. I mean, that would, might might as well have essentially been called Shadowrun, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed that. I thought it was. I good. enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. And it's unusual to see that mix of, of fantasy and sci-fi, and I'm surprised that a lot of other people haven't jumped on that. Yeah, totally. And and done something else. Yeah. Because I think it looked great, and it, you know, you'd think you'd think with the success of like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, somebody would be banging down the door to do. Totally, wouldn't you? Yeah. That kind of show, um, but clearly not, you know. What do, What do you think of um, like Johnny Mnemonic? I love the Johnny New the Johnny Mnemonic movie i think it's it ticks so many of what i think are the classic cyberpunk boxes monofilament kind of fingernails yakuza's yeah. downloads um you know all the dolphins that are ex-navy do you know what i mean like yeah, 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 just totally. everything in it i think is is spot on and i can totally get away with the fact you know it's cheesy connor reeves and do you know what i mean like i want my shirts laundered do you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, it's brilliant you know um uh, to me, it's it's classic. Everything from I've used so many of those character archetypes in games I've ran. You know, from yeah. like, you know, the um, who's that preacher guy? Oh, Dolph uh, Lundgren. Yeah. Dolph Lundgren, yeah, and and stuff like that. Um, there's there's a the game we were playing the other day, Henry, and Saint Thomas de Brugeau is entirely influenced by Dolph Lundgren's character out of Johnny Mnemonic. Sick. I thought I recognised him. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sick, he, man. You know, yeah. this big, well-built, you know, wears a crucifix and really just batters people to death. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but have you, no, have you read the brilliant. original story, the Johnny Mnemonic book? I have. We can. Oh, what's it called again? Um, oh God, what's it called? Yeah. That one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the short story is called. Um, I was just about to say the Total Recall name, and we'll remember it for you wholesale, but it's not that, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, um, I have acted for a long time since I've read any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I like yeah. how Johnny Demonics really kind of predicts a lot of the technology that we have these days. He's got the big VR glasses on and he puts his gloves on, like the power glove. Yeah. And you see the CGI hands come into the CGI world and it's really Now, like, to me, when they do the Matrix that. in that, that's to me what the Matrix always looked like when I used to play early yeah, Shadow totally. Cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. Totally. And I think, I think sometimes when they've, they've messed with it now, especially later versions of Shadowrun, They've almost advanced the tech too much, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agreed with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think there's something beautiful about having that the vision of the dark future, but from an '80s lens. Yeah, you know, totally. I want my cyberpunk to look like Blade Runner. I don't want it to look like what the actual. I don't want it to be Black Mirror. Do you know what I yeah. mean? That's why when I play, that's why when I play Shadowrun, I stick to second, but then I have to make an allowance for the technology that we've got now that wasn't available then. So even though I'm playing second religiously as a system, I allow Wi-Fi and wireless stuff because otherwise it kind of doesn't make sense because we've got that now. So, 
But, I mean, how much can you argue it makes sense? Because you're talking about trolls and orcs and dragons. And, <laughs> and, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, it's, a, it's an alternate world, isn't it? Where yeah. things started changing in the 80s or whatever, or whenever goblinization was, 2015. So, so, so maybe you do. So maybe it misses that step. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a parallel universe, isn't it, essentially? Yeah. Now, I, I, same, I would prefer a, to that, play it with that, plugged in, you know, jack in. Yeah. Same, yeah. same, exactly. Like it's, it's the same as when they did that Star Trek show, that new one, the shitty one. And it's set before all the other Star Treks, but for and some yeah. reason they, they have holograms and yeah, and yeah. like wireless things. And you're like, hang on, this is before 1960s. This is before Kirk. Why is there holograms? Yeah, yeah. I really Should tried to really get into that. Uh, oh, and I just terrible. couldn't. I've tried it. Yeah, so I've tried it. I've tried so it. But, yeah. But yeah, what I know what you mean. Like, the, um... You want to have that same uh, thing with the tech, don't you? You want to be able to glom onto the world. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 So I've, I've, I've kind of, when I've done it, that's what I've done. I've, I've added that little element in. So like, um, it's like Paolo has been playing a hacker in the game that we've played. And I'll sort of say to him, Oh, you know, you, you sort of walking down the corridor and you've, you've got that sort of level of perception where you can see these little nodes and stuff flashing up. So you can sort of go and you can inspect it. But if you want to go in further, then you have to hack in, you have to actually jack into something, but you can interact with like the coffee maker from, from where you stood, you know, how do you do stuff like that? How do you, as a shadow run, when you GM in it, right? So as a shadow run GM, yeah. How how do you deal with the matrix side of it? Do you allow the the hackers to go on a run on their own, or do you take the whole group in, or what? So so, so the way, it, yeah. So the way I do it now, the easiest way to do it is like you say, Henry, is to have a hacker NPC. That's the downright the easiest way to do it. So when I play, uh, I play with my lad Connor, and he's he's like 20, 24 now, I think, and I play with him and his his three mates. And they're all the same age. They all went to school together. They've known each other since they were like, and they went to nursery, all went to nursery together. So they've known each other since they were like two. And uh, before lockdown, they used to come around every couple of weeks and we'd play, we'd play a game. There's some like um, actual plays on the, on the Dungeon Punks YouTube channel of us playing it. And um, so their Decker has always been a character that I made back when I was a kid, like in like 92, I think, or 90, my first edition. Yeah called uh, Death Bunny, who was a hacker that I had as a kid who was based on one of the guys from Jesus Jones. And he's <laughs> and he's their hacker now. He's still the same guy. Um, there is something so that, lovely, isn't there, about using a PC exactly. that you had from an old yeah. game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So all they do is they ring him up, this needs hacking. I roll a few dice in secret and then he gives him some information or whatever. But when when we when we started playing with the Dungeon Punks guys, Paolo specifically said, I want to play a hacker because he's really into Cyberpunk, he's really into William Gibson and stuff like that. Yeah. So he said, I wanna I wanna play a hacker and I want it to be called Count Zero. So I was like, cool, yeah. no worries. Pretty class. The the rules, the rules for hacking are really complicated. So I know you're not about complicated rules, Paolo. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna simplify it. So basically what I the way I treat it is that it's almost like he goes into this um alternate reality and and like the the ice looks like say it's a say it's a security guard it looks like a cartoon security guard or a or a like robot generated security guard or say there's a little bit of ice that's doing a patrol it's like a little almost like one of them little star wars um, mouse droids but it's got like a little flashing light and it drives around and i sort of get him to do it as the other pcs are doing things so he's not on a side mission and he can interact with them if he needs to via, you know, the technology that they've got, just to make it so it's not 
one person on their own doing something for an hour. Yeah. While the other the other three three four sat round. Do you know what I mean? So I try and make it so it's like interactive to the to the scene, if you like. Yeah. And then it's if tricky, he wants though. to, do, it's tricky, it's, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you look at the original rules, you you have to draw up a grid, yeah. and you go right. Well, roll to go from there to the to the main grid, right? And then roll to go from the main grid to the to the to the next node. All right. Well, you didn't pass that node, so you're gonna have to. And you're a bit like, fuck me, come on, let's make it a bit easier than that. Yeah. And and I think that's the way to do it. I don't know what you think, Jamie. That's the way I've been doing it, just because it's easier for me and the players. But to be honest, I always I, I used to run Sharon one two a lot. And yeah. I, I used to kind of say, look, it's better if nobody plays one, you yeah. know. So I went every scene, keep it the NPC, and I don't have to worry about it. Um, I have, in the past, created a situation where the hacker is the one who's actually um, leading the the kind of dive, but yeah. the other players can have a secondary login. Yeah, yeah. So they appear as kind of, you know, um, they're all in. So the entire group goes into the web and, yeah. and plays out. And the hackers obviously like the the kind of leading the charge, but everybody yeah. gets to go along with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's just a nicer way to do it. And then everybody's in it and it becomes a little kind of side quest, if you will. So where every everybody enjoying that separate environment. And then when they come out, that's when the hacker is, you know, has to deal with real reality and everybody else can get their proper guns back out. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I I would prefer to just not deal with it. And that's it's rough because I think it's such a an iconic part of, of Cyberpunk and Shadowrun that it, it seems weird that it's really hard to integrate into the the average gaming session, you know? Yeah, you'd have you the only other way you could do it is to literally have a separate session in it with the hacker yeah. or the decker even and do it as a separate session outside the game. That's the only other yeah. way to do it, isn't it? It'd be all right if you had two GMs, isn't it? But then Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the same way. It's the same way. Yeah, it's the same way you do astral in it as well. It's it's hard to do if someone's going to go deep astral and and try and do that kind of stuff. It's kind of hard to integrate that as well, isn't it? Yeah, and and there's a thing with um, and I know we're going slightly off topic, but with with World of Darkness games, there's this thing where it's written in all of the originals. The character should have a prelude, right? Yeah, and it and it suggests that the GM takes each character on their own. And runs them through like a mini adventure to kind of yes. like it's like a episode zero with each with each yeah. character. And I'm like, even back in the day when you know we were allowed to sit in the same room, who's got time to do that? No, totally. You want your mates around and you want to get started in the game straight away. The GM's not going to take an hour out or half an hour out for each character. And imagine if you've got five players. Yeah. Well, it, I, t- I tell I tell you what's funny you say that because that that podcast that I, I I rate quite a lot is the, is Twin Cities by Night, which is a world of darkness podcast and um they've done some um delta green side games on okay. the side right and what they did was they got a gm they did one-to-one so a gm and, and one of the players and they did side quests for each of the players to establish their background mm-hmm. so there's like four or five players and then they brought them all together as one team so they did side quests for each of them and then brought them together as a cohesive team and it's, it, it's so fucking and then they drop them into the situation in the main game that the players who were vampires created in this tower block, and yeah. and then that's what, and then these right. these other players that are them have then got to go and investigate that thing that they caused as players. It's so like multi layered thinking. It's yeah, so you see that it's like the vampire game that we played. It would have been lovely to 
to do one-on-ones with everybody first yeah and then and then bring everybody together but you just you're adding extra time on you sure. and extra yeah, like, yeah. And, yeah. and it's just a, such a hard thing to do and i mean the payoff you know that you get especially from listening to it like that listen to these shows and then bring them all together it's worth the reward isn't it but yeah but yeah yeah it's just so hard to organize yeah it'd be cool to do though wouldn't it yeah, and, I, cool. I, I, and the only thing we've got at the minute is time anyway, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think it's easier doing them. It, there's not many benefits to online gaming versus real gaming. Yeah. But I think being able to just pick a perfect time and log on and do a, totally. you know, half hour side quest or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, you know. It's one of them, isn't it? You've got the yeah. Time. yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely been one of the things about the lockdown thing is I've gamed more in yeah. lockdown than I have for years since I was Sad. a kid. Because you just—it's the only—it's the only time I've had time to do something. Because you can't say the missus can't say, "Oh, let's go out for a meal tonight" or whatever. Yeah, you gotta go. I'll go and sit in the garage for two hours. <laughs> you, you read a book or whatever. <laughs> I know what you mean because I, I've had to kind of rein myself in from from wanting to start too much or or agree yeah. to too many. Because before you know it, you can be on all the time because so, like you see yeah. you're sitting around. Um, but yeah, it's a yeah. weird one. We we did we did two hours or two and a half hours last night playing that um, Esoteric Empires with uh, Brendan for Full Metal RPG, and um, that was cool. We've been playing that for a while. So, what's what's what end game engine is that? What how does that work? Tell me, tell us. You know that. what, mate? I don't really know. It's it's a real basic. It's a real basic system. It's like a D6 system um, for your skills and stuff, and then there's like a, a d20 element to it as, as well but it's I, don't, I can't remember what the engine is it's called esoteric enterprise it's written by an english girl actually um Sad. it's it's quite it's good it's it's got one of them um the rule book's got a real good way of um building the world in it yeah a lot of dice rolls but you can really flesh out a full world by just doing a few dice rolls what are your characters um, who are you playing so i'm playing i'm playing so my character was originally a bodyguard character archetype. Um, so humans, uh, then, yeah. So, so he's a human. Well, he was. Um, so he was a um, a road. He was from originally from Rhodesia, and he's like a big game hunter. But rather than being a big game hunter, he's like a esoteric big game hunter. So he goes and hunts, hunts like bog witches and stuff like that. So that's the coolest character concept ever, man. I yeah, it was pretty sick. Yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. So he's got this massive like uh, bolt action uh, magnum, like uh, three three eight magnum Lepore sniper rifle. Right. Yeah, yeah. For shooting yetis and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he's he got killed, right? And there was a session where I couldn't play. I, he died. I couldn't play. So the other characters suddenly decided they were going to bring me back. So I get all these messages while I'm not playing. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've like we're resurrecting you. I was like, what? I was like, all right, cool. So I like a wrote a backstory about him, like you know, going into like the afterlife and feeling like he'd been left, like um, you know, like he'd left something behind. He was his life was incomplete, and he could feel this thing pulling him back in. And then they did they did a session where they sort of like um, found this um, this vessel body that had been ritually sacrificed, and then they brought my soul into this body, but they had to go and find it in like this other place and that i was wow. in this other place That's being stopped by what i thought was monsters but it was these guys and it was really cool and then the next thing he wakes up my character wakes up and he's in this um this like a uh, egyptian guy's body he was like you know he was like a six foot four rhodesian like beefcake and now he's in this like teenage egyptian's body covered in like sacrificial like symbols and shit and he's like awesome. what? so now he's, he's a character called the spook which is basically like a 
like a, a monster or whatever. So yeah, nice. it's pretty. It's cool. It's it's really really interesting system. Every everything's geared towards you playing like the absolute dregs of society. It's based in like a esoteric underground where you sort of operate and um, sort of like help out ghouls and vampires and shit like that. It's cool. It's good. It's, I really I really enjoyed it. Actually, it's been good. So you're doing how long are the sessions you do for that? I kind of With two hours. We try and stick to like two hours. You see, like I, I prefer those kind of length sessions as well. And and I don't know if it's becoming more common, but you'll remember, like me, Paulie, the traditional long session for RPGs is what four six hours. Yeah, four to six hours. Yeah, that's what I always think of. Yeah. And I can't remember the last time I played anything for that long. I, I we do like when the Dungeon Punch guys play Shadow, and we tend to do about three to four, just because it's so hard. We can't de- dedicate. A time every week or whatever yeah yeah so if we're gonna play we'll start at like seven or eight and then play until like midnight or whatever just because yeah. it's hard for us all to get and then we might we only play like once every three or four months or something like that you know what i mean i think if you're not playing as often that yeah. long session you can get a lot done and don't exactly. get me wrong i, th- I think it, you know when all this is done and i can get people around if people are going to travel and you know and stay weekends or whatever you go all right let's start and and do a massive long mega session and play all weekend or whatever, definitely. Yeah. But I think when you're at home and, and you know, on the, the laptop and whatever, I think two hours to me feels like you would sit down and you would spend that watching two episodes or a movie yeah. or whatever, and it just feels like a nice little chunk of time. Especially especially after you've spent all day on Zoom calls and stuff for work. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. then spend another, like, four or five hours on the, on the computer again at night. It, it's yeah. hard, isn't it? So I, I found it easy when I was working out on site full time, just going back to my apartment and then sitting down and saying, all right, then switch the computer on for a bit. But since I've been back in working from home or in inverted commas or whatever, it's, and I'm doing like a lot of Zoom calls and stuff, it's get, it feels a lot more exhausting to, as, no, weird, weird right, to right. yeah, weird to say it's more exhausting sat at a computer all day than it is walking around the building site. But No, it is, I've had days yeah. when I've been on Zoom calls from 10 in the morning until 9, 10 at night, yeah. like almost solidly, and it's it's exhausting. I'd rather yeah. have conversations with people for that time, and I'm an introvert, yeah, totally. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it can be really draining, um, and especially if you're GMing as well. Like I recently ran a game over um, Discord video for some people, and me and Jamie were talking about it, but even when you're GMing in a room, you got to be picking up social cues. It's, it's, you know, your brain's working all the time to be a GM, you, you know, you're yeah. not really relaxed, but when you're GMing over video, it's almost like the engagement that you're putting in is doubled because you've got to try and read those cues based on these little screens of people's faces on and keep totally. the momentum going and stuff. It's really exhausting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. more than two hours, you don't really, I don't think anyone wants to do more than two hours over video. Yeah. Really. So I agree. I agree, um, yeah. But uh, coming off the back of that, Jamie, if you were going to have a, a marathon weekend of RPGs in person, you know I'm down for that shit. Man, it's like 24 <laughs> yeah, hours straight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah man. Invites yeah. are going out. 36 yeah, hour game. Buddy. You know I'm down yeah. for that shit, mate. And you know, you know that game's got to be beyond the supernatural by Palladium as well. <laughs> without, without, without a doubt, it, it'll actually it'll be a mashup. Seeing as Palladium have gifted us with a, a system that crosses over many games, yeah. it'll be a Beyond the Supernatural, Advanced Recon, Ninjas and Super Spies, Rifts Extravaganza. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I just got a whole bunch of rifts in actually that I've Did been you? working through. Yeah, like a big stack. I'm talking like you know fifty odd books. Yeah, yeah. It just surprises me how much they churned out. Totally. And, you know, um, funnily enough, I've got a source book for Ninjas and Super Spies that I'd never seen before. Oh, uh, really? Called, yeah, called Mystic China. Right. And it's all like extra martial arts and yeah, yeah, 
loads of weird stuff and everything um and it's especially for ninjas and super spies yeah yeah um, and i've never seen it before so I'm gonna i mean have a read i mean so considering how many how many martial arts are in the original book that's quite an achievement to think of any more yeah. martial arts I mean, <laughs> yeah I, I, can, I can remember reading it as a kid and going i want to try that martial art you know like stuff like i think he's got like salat and um it's got all it's, kinds of stuff in and it? it's uh, yeah it's, what, what it's, was the player base like back in the day was there actually a big following for palladium and rifts and that kind of thing it it must have been because it was a big company and, and you know it's done a lot of games it has done a lot that's what makes me makes me think yeah, yeah. sizable player base for the uh, for the releases like well funny there's a there's a weird little um nugget of of knowledge here gaming knowledge kevin Kevin Simbedia, and I might be mispronouncing his name, but nonetheless, the, the guy who owns and runs Palladium Games, yeah. that company was the first people to start bringing Robotech from um, Japan over into America. Really? And to start bringing out the um, VHS cassettes and stuff, because it had been shown on American TV, but it was shown entirely out of order. Um, you know, they weren't running the episodes in order, they were missing the end out and whatever, because they were just buying it and chucking it on, because... Back then, you know, and you're talking about the the mid to late 80s, yeah, it was just considered a cartoon for kids, and they, they thought the kids aren't bothered what order the episodes go in and stuff. Totally, yeah, yeah, but yeah. There, there was becoming this real kind of desire for this this manga esque kind of content, yeah. And Palladium were um, basically getting the the rights to put it all put it all on American video cassettes and, and release right, it in right. America, wow. and they were the, the push for that, and that's why they brought out the Robotech. Um, RPG, you yeah, know, yeah, in, yeah. Invid Invasion and Macross 2 and yeah, yeah. all of that really early stuff. Um, they did RPG source books for all of it, you know, right. the Zentradi uh-huh. and, you know, um, yeah, Macross and Accelerated Program, RDFs and all yeah. that, all that big stuff. It's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, and yeah. If, if anything, the, the RPG source books from that time period are essentially the DVD extras for anyone who's a Robotech fan. <laughs> you just take the gaming out of it. It's got all yeah. of the the original sketches for the mechs and all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's amazing. I didn't realize really that. Good. I suppose I suppose Star Wars went the same in way with West End Star Wars, didn't it? West End Games in the way that they built canon for stuff. Yeah. That has 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 now become like official, really. It sort of kept it alive yeah. over the years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. West End Games were were definitely the um the house for bringing out you know loads of characters that as you say yeah. have gotten into novels and the extended yeah, yeah. universe which is you know that whole mess now about what is canon and what isn't yeah, yeah it's all yeah yeah it's That's the same with um it's the same with tolkien and um rollmaster uh who did iron crown enterprises who did the middle earth role-playing game Merp. yeah yeah Merp. they were essentially creating unofficial um characters in in Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, pick things like naming the other wizards and naming the other Nazgul and and sort of weird stuff like that. It's like it's extra Tolkien stuff Tolkien didn't write. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I I watched them documentaries you recommended as well. They were good. How good are they? I mean, I yeah, know yeah. A bit, I know they're a bit dated, but the the narrator is got like it, it's it's really good solid narration. You get loads of yeah. in, it's a nice balance between talking about the stories and talking about talking as a writer yeah totally um yeah i think i think they're really illuminating actually for yeah. even for people who who only roughly familiar with it you get a lot from it it's it's weird to one of the things i found weird was the footage of the other interviews with other people none of it seemed to be done at the same time oh. like this as as you went through it there'd be one guy who looked like he was he was being interviewed in like the 1960s 
And another guy who was looked like he was being interviewed in the eighties and one in like the thousand. It was really weird, wasn't it? Like, yeah. next. but it was nice to see, you know, you know, Christopher Tolkien speaking and yeah, yeah, and totally. the, the publisher from Unwin and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and and the guys really who just... did the guys who did all the drawings for the for the covers and oh, stuff. Oh, Greg well. and Tim Hildebrandt. Yeah, 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 yeah. They are amazing. Them. I mean, they did a lot of work for um, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a lot of lot of Dragonland stuff and. Um, I mean, they were just, they were amazing, like, but yeah, yeah. they're good documentaries, they're really good. Yeah, really, I really enjoyed that. that you watch cool. all four, do you start with The Hobbit one? No, I, I didn't watch The Hobbit one, I watched the other three, and then I haven't watched The Hobbit one yet. Weirdly, I watched The Hobbit one last. Um, yeah, right. But I just watched it, it's in exactly the same style, um, but it, it just, it obviously just covers The Hobbit instead of The Lord of the Rings, which, yeah, yeah. We, weirdly, I've never been as bothered by The Hobbit. Totally but, the same, yeah. But it, I guess it, you know, it's it's one of the four pillars in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, but yeah. That um, did you watch that film that came out a couple of years ago? That cyberpunk film, that Upgrade, Jamie. Yeah, I've seen that. I don't know. I don't think I did. No, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a weird one. It's probably worth. Well, worth we were talking about cyberpunk games. I was gonna the next one I was gonna bring up was the uh, the Ghost in the Shell. Yes, the film. Yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't watched it. You know. I really rate it. What you've never seen any of the Ghost in the Shell films? Before? No, I haven't. I haven't watched the actual the actual I'm live, about the live action one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen I've seen the TV. I saw the cartoon and the. I even watched the TV like show. I think as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, standalone yeah. complex. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah standalone complex. That's the one. Yeah, but yeah. I really rate I don't, the live I don't action stuff. Right, much, but, um, Ghost in the Shell stuff is actually worth a watch. I think, although I have I, I do love Scarlett Johansson, but I've not seen the live action film. I'm afraid, mm. so I don't know. Is it like a? Is just like a frame for frame re re uh, reshot of the? It goes uh, off on its own thing, does it? I mean, it's 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 a loving version. I think it treats ah, okay. yeah, it treats the original with respect, and there are definitely some scenes that are directly influenced from panels yeah. of um, of the originals, but it, it's different enough. I think it's really. I think they've done a great. I'm gonna watch. There. I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, I'm gonna watch that too yeah. now as well. Yeah. The effects yeah. are just brilliant. Like, yeah. and the acting is solid. It does. It. It never. In my opinion, it never falls into being cheesy. Okay. And I, and I think that's that's. You know, there was a danger of that potentially happening. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, but it just doesn't. So. Definitely. I would like to see more. Um. You know, full new live action versions of some of that classic manga. Yeah. Totally. I mean, can you imagine a Odeo City 808 live Fuck action? Me. <laughs> yeah, or Demon Shitty, uh, Shitty, Demon City, <laughs> Shitty Shinjuku. Yeah, um, you know there'd be some great ones because to me, Neo, Neo Genesis Evangelion. Yeah, imagine the scale of that. Fuck. I mean, I suppose they kind of tried to do it with with Pacific Rim. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. still yeah. not Ari, quite the same, is it? Yeah. Ari says he's going to try and join now, so we might have Ari jumping in as well in a second. All right, cool. I've got a um, got a message from. Uh, Stephen as well, he's going to join us much later on when the time zone's better for him. Oh, nice. Stephen the Dice? Aye. Yeah, nice. Yeah. nice, nice. Been chatting to Stephen, buddy. He's, he says he's been enjoying the episodes and stuff. It's nice to hear from him, man. Shout out, Stephen, if you're listening. Yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. So I'm looking Good forward lad. to getting that in later as well. But Upgrade, I watched Upgrade um, uh, last year, I think. And um, the, the premise is kind of something that I'd roll my eyes a little bit at, but I actually yeah. watched it and I was like, oh, you know what, actually, like the camera work was so, was so good during the scenes where the computer takes over the geezer's body. Like, yes, yes. The way they direct it all, it's, it's really like um, tangible, like tactile filmmaking, you know what I mean? Yeah, really yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi, Ari. How you doing, pal? Hi, mate. All right. Good. You guys? How's it going? All good, bro. Good, man. 
Is it just me that is not getting any video for these for these joiners or? Uh... Actually, actually, yeah. When I when I tried to enter, it said immediately that um, that video is um, um, prohibited or so. I don't know if it's something you. But I mean, with you guys, it, it obviously works. But I cannot even click on video here. Skype we can is, hear uh... you, man. So it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. So um, we're sorry. You guys were talking about Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion. Just we want to carry on, carry on. Uh, yeah, I think that. I think that 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 film would be absolutely mind blowing, wouldn't it? I just think there's such a um, a mine of those classic shows that could totally. easily be, even if Netflix picked them up to do TV shows of them or something, totally. you know, you're looking at Dominion Tank Police or oh, uh, Bub- yeah. Bubblegum Crisis. Bubblegum um, Crisis, yeah, yeah. Um, Crying Freeman. Crying Freeman. Is there a new Neon Genesis Evangelion out? Or I saw that there's something on Netflix, but I didn't even check if it's just the old one or if it's a new series or what is it? Oh, I'm not sure. I think, um, I think, it's, I think it's the old ones. I think, it's the, yeah. I think they put them all on, yeah. We were we started this conversation because we were I was talking about the Ghost in the Shell movie. Yeah, which and, one? Uh, the original one or the newest one? Um, the live action one. Yeah, yeah. and I, I really one. like it. And uh, I I was saying it's a shame that they don't turn some of the older manga mm. entertainment titles into movies or TV shows. It's it's, it's funny with the, with the Ghost in the Shell movie. If I can jump in there. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm obviously a big fan of the original one. Who's not? <laughs> but, yeah. um, I think it's still today, like um, as a as a as a comment on on the on the genre cyberpunk and also posthumanism. I think it's up there with being one of the best uh, content ever. Agreed. And with the movie, it's funny. I, I I remember watching it in the cinema. I only watched it once, but I will definitely rewatch it now. I really enjoyed the aesthetics. I mean, it, I think it looked really stunning. And yeah. um, and all what I say now also applies to the new Blade Runner. But I think content-wise, it didn't do anything that I keep it for a long time in my memory, you know? Like, there was nothing newly added to it. And um, in especially in Blade Runner, I have the feeling it, it fails in um, actually trying to, to, to get back to an idea of the future from the 80s instead of trying to reinterpret it maybe from now. You know, you know a little bit what I mean? And I, I know that was exactly really what I mean. That was really a thought when I left. It's like kind of in this kind of nostalgia trap you know like there's just such a hard try of recreating this it's also kind of funny like this complete um um, um anachronism you know like you're trying in, in in our time to rebuild like an idea of the future from the 80s completely absurd <laughs> i think it's really interesting and um and it's interesting you mentioned blade runner um 2049 because i i think i agree with you in some ways it, it's brilliant and it looks beautiful but in other ways, it felt me a little bit unsatisfied at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know what? I haven't, I haven't watched it. I, I mean, I've got so much love for the original that I don't know. I didn't want to watch it. Is it worth? Is it worth watching? It's worth watching. Is yeah, it worth watching? Yeah, I'll you should watch it. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it's right. it's eye candy. <laughs> yeah. And, right. and with it, I mean, Ghost in the Shell. I really need to rewatch it because I watched it only once. But I, I remember I had a similar feeling when I came, when it came out that it was like. Kind of a similar problem I had with it, but that just looked stunning. But it was maybe like a bit superficial in that sense. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think you have to watch it just to enjoy it visually because yeah, it's, yeah, totally. It is it is a beautiful film. Mm. Bordy, have you seen any of uh, Denis Villeneuve's previous films? Give me give, give me a clue. Um, he's done Arrival, which was really good. He's also yes. done Sica- Sicario, which I'm guessing you've seen. Yes. No. Okay, so that that would be my advice if you're going to watch Blade Runner 2049 is to do do your directorial research and watch Villeneuve's previous films first, 
because the uh, part of the love of Blade, the second Blade Runner that I have is the fact that I know who's directing it, and that's kind of why I enjoy it so mm-hmm. much because I really like Denis Villeneuve's um, directorial style. So if I just watched it out of nowhere with no context, I'd be like, oh, this film's pretty to look at and strange. But knowing that it's him and knowing the films he's done before mm-hmm. made okay. me enjoy it twice uh, as it, much. So I recently watched on um, uh, movie. Do you know this platform? Like it's a kind of art house streaming network. Um, uh, I don't know if it actually exists in the UK, but I think so. Whatever. But they showed a really old movie of him where I was super surprised. Um, it's a, a kind of a political drama about a um, about a freedom fighter woman who went to jail. I don't want to say anything wrong now. If it was in Lebanon, I think in Lebanon. It's it's really un- oh, untypical when you think of the more recent ones. I also don't even remember the name, but it's um, it was one of his first big movies. It was really like no sci-fi. It was like kind of this um, uh, realism, like this um, real story of this woman and was this kind of this political freedom fighter in I think Lebanon. Um, oh yeah, in well, in, in is it called? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sound. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. Was a bit. Yeah, yeah. It was okay, a bit cheesy, but um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm surprised at how many of his films I've seen. Actually, now looking at it, yeah, yeah. that prison, that prisoners is good, isn't it? With um, prisoners is well good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, that one I didn't watch, but yeah, yeah, he seems to be like kind of the poster boy now for for doing like uh, remakes of all of our um, favorite sci-fi movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that right, I, I really like that Arrivals. I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah was right, that's yeah. a unique yeah. film. That is for that sure. That's really, that's really good. Yeah, quite, quite a burden this guy has now. Yeah, yeah, but probably. I was watching an interview with him about um, the Dune film that he's doing, or potentially two films, I'm not sure about that, but it's it's been his childhood dream to direct a Dune film since right. before he started making films, so wow. this hasn't been lumped in, dropped in his lap out of nowhere, this is his, he's, his he's, dream project. Yeah, it's what he's been working towards all his life. That's yeah, this, yeah, this is literally like the pinnacle of his, his career as far as he's concerned, so yeah, I'd better, better be good then. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll suck it up, as RuPaul would say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but by the way, when you're with uh, about movies right now, I after listening to your podcast, I watched finally Suspiria. Oh yeah, what do you think? I had it on my list since really long. Um, it's like the thing is, um, I have hard times watching horror movies because my girlfriend really cannot watch it, and um, it's like so hard <laughs> to find slots where you can watch alone. Yeah. And I really, I really thought with this one because it has kind of this. Arthouse appearance when you watch a trailer and, and also have like amazing actors and so I kind of thought I can lure her in and then like after the first <laughs> killing killing scene of this of of the Olga the stanza this really crazy scene oh, she, yeah. she backed out and said okay I go to the bedroom read <laughs> and then we, I watched it alone and I was blown away I was really surprised how good the movie is like because had I had you um, seen the original. Uh, that was what I was saying next. Uh, Oppo- totally opposing your uh, words. I love the original, and I also fucking love the soundtrack. <laughs> oh yeah, see there you go. It's polarized, isn't it? It's so. I like, was a bit disappointed when I hear it. you speaking about it. <laughs> hey man, but, it's subjective taste, isn't it? Let's be no, honest. I mean it, it's of course it. polarizing. I know also a lot of people who think it's fucking annoying, but I have something for this. Um, uh, I mean these Jallo movies, as they are called, these Italian uh, splatter movies from that time. Yeah, yeah. I think there's really something to it because I, I don't know if there's anything comparable from that time where there was clearly a um, uh, art house um, approach to horror. I mean, there are of course other examples, but it was it was kind of unique. I think the way it was filmed and um, and still being trying to be in the genre of being a splatter movie. And um, yeah, I think I think it has really a lot of qualities. The old one, and I'm also a big fan of Proc Rocks and the soundtrack. Totally. Uh, 
yeah, feels good. <laughs> I found that if I was going to enjoy any of the visual elements to what they were trying to do art house wise in terms of the horror and stuff, I was, if I was going to enjoy like the camera work or the yeah. or the cheesy Italian dialogue or the way they dub everything over or whatever, the the soundtrack got in the way of everything else for me. I wish the soundtrack mm, yeah, could kind of be somewhere else so that so that I could actually mm. pick out all these other elements and enjoy them. So what, what but, are, Ari? What other Giallo films uh, would you recommend that maybe aren't as jarring? Actually, just, 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 uh, I would just go for for. I don't, I'm not a specialist. I don't want to uh, say anything <laughs> wrong about. But um, um, the other movies of Dario Argento are also definitely worth watching. On top of my head, there is Profondo Rosso, <laughs> really great title, just uh, which I think it me- just means uh, the color, the color red. <laughs> <laughs> and then another, what, which one was it as well? Like yet also another one. Oh, I'm bad here right now, recalling it. Yeah, but I mean, Dario Argento is the one big guy of that genre, and he his movies are, they're all kind of, I mean, if you didn't like the original Superior, I don't know if you're getting convinced by them, but it's um, it's definitely worth having a look at it. I mean, it's... Yeah. Bordy, have you yeah. seen the Superior remake? So, cards on the table, boys. I am absolutely terrified of all horror films. <laughs> 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 so, in our house, what we do is and my missus, my missus and my daughter. All they watch all the time is horror films. So what <laughs> I, I just do want to say, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna go outside and go and do something else because I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> what the dog? Uh, yeah. Funny. No. Yes. Um, I was really like, um, I don't know. Do you also have this um, um, habit of when you really like the movie, the next day you kind of gonna put uh, download the, the the soundtrack and listen to it and re kind of re. Lift the movie. I was really like yeah. the next day. I was uh, walking around a flat and listening to the Tom York soundtrack and kind of got goosebumps thinking of the scenes, <laughs> especially the last scene, like kind of this contrast of this really beautiful, sensitive song with the heads exploding. I mean, it was... I I think it's take it's been quite a while since I was disturbed by a film, and the Suspiria yeah. remake really yeah. quite t- touched touched me in a way that it was it it made me un- uncomfortable, and that was I mean that you know successful. In that yeah, sense, so, especially yeah, yeah. Olga's death scene, which you were talking about, is oh. is is bizarre and you know mm. amazing in in all in one. I think that, that what it do, what it does well, why it, why it um, touches so much is my, my theory is that it combines both these brutal scenes with highly aesthetic scenes. You know, like you're watching this beautiful dance and getting also forced to watch this horrible death, and and the end is also the same. And I think that that kind of for me creates some of yeah. the tension. It's a technique um, Quentin Tarantino used, isn't it, with yeah, res- totally. Reservoir Dogs, with the, <laughs> yeah. the song and the ear removal scene. Oh, yeah, totally. and okay, he, he has yeah. you, he wants to get you singing along and dancing, and then all of a and sudden then, yeah. it, it comes out and, you know, you, the camera pans out. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I well, he's, think you're onto something. He's got to be the world's biggest, like, um, supporter, any of Grindhouse and stuff like that, oh, that kind of filming style. It's every, he owes everything to those kind of niche He's such a um, he's such a sort of a student of the game, isn't he? That. But then I guess you could also to on the other side of that coin, he's 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 not just a, he's also a champion of them. He, he's, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's brought them back out and and yeah. kind of made people enjoy his movies and then go deeper into yeah. his influences. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, especially stuff like Kill Bill. I mean, you know, you, you yeah. start going down that rabbit hole with all of the influences and that, and you can yeah, totally. You can watch some great stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, a completely n- another movie where I was wondering or waiting in the when I listened to you guys talking about it. If some of you drops it, maybe. Um, I think a really big influence on the Suspiria movie is also Possession. Have you ever watched that one? 
I haven't seen that one, no. Put it on your list, guys. <laughs> I, mean, okay. I really think you will love it. It's it's um, it's um, a movie by a, by a um, Polish filmmaker called Andrzej Zulawski. Don't ask me how you write it. You will find it right. if you type in pol- uh, possession. It's with Sam Neill, of all people. Yeah. Oh, I love Sam Neill. Awesome. And a really beautiful Italian actor. I don't recall her name. She was really like kind of a... Um, uh, Famous in the in the seventies, and a place in Berlin uh, in the eighties um, in West Berlin with amazing shots of the wall and so. And it actually is also filmed at that time. That's the difference to Suspiria. Wow. And it's it's um, it's not H.P. Lovecraft necess- um, uh, necessarily as a reference, but it's kind of a Lovecraftian feel. She is kind of creating a, a, or like um, breeding a tentacle monster in an empty flat in Kreuzberg. Oh, wow. Um, wow. It's a bit it's difficult to explain because the movie is quite abstract and um, it's mainly about a couple which where the relationship really goes nuts and um, and it more and more comes out that she has like kind of this affair but then also kind of creates this weird tentacle monster in this flat and it's a really weird movie but it's it's an absolute masterpiece and it, I, I think there's it um, Suspiria um, takes a lot from that movie for sure I'm hundred percent sure that he referred it um, especially. And yeah, oh, and both movies for me because I'm I'm born and raised in Berlin. It's it's really uh, I really dig the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys seen uh, In the Mouth of Madness with Sam Neill? That's another kind of Lovecraftian inspired yeah, horror film. Very Lovecraftian. Sam Neill's yeah. going a bit crazy. Like he's yeah. so good in that kind of like yeah, unhinged role. Like <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. So thanks, Ari. I'll check that one out. I did watch. I know you, that film's called Possession. I did watch a film called Possessor. Recently, Brandon Cronenberg film uh, that's come out last year, I think. So check that out, guys. That's like very mm-hmm. um, bizarre. Well, as you'd expect from the son of David Cronenberg's first directorial <laughs> debut. Yeah. Really, really yeah. weird. Like even from the very first shot of the film, it just makes your arm, the hairs on your arms stand up. It's just yeah. like the creepiest, weirdest film. It's really good, man. Possessor. Yeah. As we're on horror. Um, I'm going to take a slight tangent, but sticking with this kind of horror theme, I just watched the documentary about the the Cecil Hotel. I don't know if anyone oh, else watched that. Interesting. Yeah, I I heard of it, but I never watched it. Yeah. Okay. What did you think of it, Jamie? Yeah, I in, dude. Really enjoyed it. Um, wow. It's on, Netflix. It's on right. Netflix. It's a four-part show, um, an hour each one, and it it basically goes into the background behind a, a, what was like an unsolved crime in yeah. uh, in LA in a hotel called the Hotel Cecil. Um, and it, I remember seeing the video as a, as a girl who acts very unusually in a, in a lift and, yeah. and it's a really spooky and it was flown around on YouTube for years and people not knowing what it was doing. So this, it goes into the background of, of, you know, what she was doing there and what happened to her and everything. And yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. I'm just going to get can, this video. Can, can you, you sorry to interrupt. Can, can, how's it written? Hotel Cecil? Yeah. C-E-C-I-L. Um, it's very... Ah, okay, Cecil. Okay. Yeah, it's t- trending on, uh, I think it's Netflix. Are you about to watch the video on YouTube? Because I'll, I'll put the link in the chat for us all. Hang on. <laughs> no, I'm not. But did, have you watched it, like? I, I watched it. Je- Jenny Fanilla were watching it. And uh, it was. I thought it was weird. It, it came across as, like... I don't want to spoil it, so I don't want to say, but I didn't enjoy it, but that's a conversation for me and you to have another right, day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to spoil yeah, it for fine. these guys, but yeah. Because yeah. um, Nate told me to watch it, and then I watched it and I, I in, in like a group chat, and I was like, 
what the fuck did you tell me to watch that for? And he's like, yeah, I'd only watched the first episode and I really enjoyed it. And then it kind of went downhill from there. And I was like, all right, okay, yeah. I'm watching it now. I think without spoilers, the one thing I can say that I I enjoyed from it was it really taught me about um, some things I didn't know about that area of LA and the history. uh, yeah, and yeah, um, totally. and the problem that they've got in all about Skid Row and stuff. Yeah, so I yeah, think totally. fucked, yeah. man. From that point of view, I thought that was really that was entertaining in itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And to kind of read about this, you know, the past history that the hotel has and stuff. Yeah, that that I, I was cool. It, that was all yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, I just think it was really good. It was. Uh, I enjoyed, and I'm not one for watching any of this kind of CSI real crime bullshit. I, I'm not really into it. Huh. But I think following the journey of them, kind of discovering what was going on, but. Again, without spoilers, I'm not entirely certain I agree with the conclusions. That's interesting. Right, okay. So, yeah. uh, you know, that is another discussion. We'll, we'll okay, talk cool. about it. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah, some things that made, made, made me head scratch. Made but that, yeah. yeah, but that to me is, a, it's it's like watching horror, really, isn't it? Yeah, so totally. It's like watching a horror, but, but it's real. And it, it can be even more frightening because of that, I think. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. It's just unusual because it's not something I normally would watch. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine it's different, isn't it? So I watched the um, they did one. They've released one recently as well about the Yorkshire Ripper, haven't they? Have you seen that? I haven't, but I will watch that. Yeah, again, that was a bit bit of a one that I, I didn't enjoy it because it kind of it seemed like it was done from an American point of view kind of thing, and it was like right. um, it didn't seem it wasn't I don't know what the right word is, but it wasn't dark enough. It didn't go into too much. Right enough detail it was almost like and then another woman got murdered kind of thing yeah. whereas i've i've seen a couple of documentaries before i think there was one on itv a few years ago and it was it was more it was it was one of the kids from one of the women who got murdered it was her going through and speaking to all the other survivors right and, and like the children of the people and and that was like had me proper in tears you know what i mean what was the name of that drama they did about it that was brilliant um, oh, like gosh. a TV drama. Was it Red Riding? Is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. Red yeah. Riding. One that's the British True Detective. Oh, yeah, it's man. And all that. Yeah. It's really good, that. I mean, that was suitably dark. That's yeah. cracking. That is. I love Red Riding. That, that felt like Life on Mars, but without the jokes. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I bet you can do a, a well amazing weird side jack, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I finished Save watching this, this video on YouTube. Pretty can you elaborate, creepy, right? guys? <laughs> <laughs> We should you know. do a uh, Red Riding um, episode, watch episode, and uh, try and run, <laughs> run some sort of theme game and try. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I'm going to do together. you know an eighties, seventies, eighties cop show um, episode. Oh, amazing, so, amazing. Hey, by the way, Henry, how how did the uh, the second Troika session go? Still setting it up, mate. One of the uh, <laughs> one of the perks of being a GM is that you get also saddled with the organizational aspect of the game, as totally. well as the fact that you're actually writing the game itself. So I'm still putting it together, dude. But actually, Saturday the sixth of March, hopefully I'll have um, three or four players. So I'll, I'll let you know about that. I'll probably talk about it. We want to do a whole episode on Troika, don't we? To be honest, dude. Cause yeah, it's... we do. Yeah, because I've just bought and read it as well. Um, but before we leave TV, um, while I mentioned Life on Mars, you were a fan of Life on Mars. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited for the third one, the final part of the trilogy. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing a third one. Is it in the 90s? They are. Well, from what I've read, um, and I could be wrong, but from what I've read, the, the creator has said it will be set in all three time periods. So it will be set now and the 70s and the 80s. All right. So oh, we'll, we'll kind of jump around 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, everybody's back on board, so that that you know, um, it's it's great. I I I love it. I love Ashes to Ashes as well. You know, I haven't watched that. That's the one with the the lady is the detective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the lovely Keely Hawes. Yeah. And to, to be honest, when I when I first I watched it, Life on Mars, and then Ashes to Ashes went straight into it. And when it changed, right. I thought, oh, this has gone downhill. It's not as good. Um, and the first couple of episodes, I thought, ah, oh, they're trying to recapture the magic and they haven't okay. done it. And then actually, by the time Ashes to Ashes finishes, I think it's stronger than the original. All oh, right, okay, that's interesting. So because it because it then it begins to become self-referential to Life on Mars, and in, you get the payoff for having gone through Life on Mars, and and all of that feeling that you thought, oh well, this is just repeated. Am I just watching it? Is kind of makes sense. Um, and then eventually when, you know, they start bringing in mentions of the original, yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. it all gets a little bit, you know, and then the, the conclusion to Ashes to Ashes really starts to answer some of the questions that you have all the way through. Right. Um, because you can watch Life on Mars and, and be left really not knowing what it is about. Do you know what I mean? To, yeah, to yeah, yeah. Sense of purposes. Um, but Ashes to Ashes kind of, starts touching on that and then by the time this last one apparently will explain everything so cool that's right. that's a british scene uh, series or what is it yeah yes i just looked it up and i've heard of it it's it's excellent um it's bbc yeah BBC, and yeah. The, the soundtrack is unreal it's got a mm -hmm. it's got a one, wonderful soundtrack and it's well acted so i would definitely recommend life on mars mm -hmm. mm. looks good it was very popular with um baby boomers and uh parents because it uh depicts someone from our time time traveling back for whatever reason into the 70s and then there's a, there's a lot of callbacks to like party seven and yeah, five, food, seven. Food, you yeah, know what i mean yeah. foods and yeah. drinks and things that people yeah. that threw up from the 70s they were excited yeah. fucking all loved the all the time yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> there's, there's a lot of like um british cultural references to that period that people who came from that time really liked so it was a big hit in uh britain when it came out because it had that kind of and like the D DCI Gene Hunt, he's a classic character, and I kind of yeah, half-based yeah. my yeah. Uh, Nosferatu off. off yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, because he, he's just like a real beer-swilling, fag-smoking, kind of proper old-school, what do you call him, the Gov, Jamie? Yeah, the Gov. I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I really like the the way that it, it's kind of, it gets a bit trippy. Like Sam Tyler will be uh, in, a, in a, his hotel room or his bedroom or somewhere, and the TV will start chatting to him. And the little like the little girl with the clown will turn and look at him or something, and he's like, "What's going on?" You know. So it, yeah, it's yeah. like you get the the grounded kind of British seventies kind of dystopian vibe, like the muted colours and stuff. And then he's also got this kind of like magical element to it as well. No, yeah. worked really well, man. It reminded me of an RPG. Yeah, I I think it's played just properly. I think yes. it's just spot yeah. on the way it's the way it's done. Tonally, yeah. it, it's yeah. It, it, yeah, it yeah toes the line very well. Tonally, yeah, brilliant. Uh, concerning series, another series where which I. I think it's a little bit um, underrated, or not many people I heard speaking about it. The HBO, I know this much is true. Did you have seen it, one of you guys? No, I no? haven't seen that. No, what's that? I've never it's, heard of it. It's no. a short series on HBO. Um, I think it came out like end of 2020 with um, Mark Ruffalo, and he um, plays like a double role. Like he plays um, him, um, his his twin brother is um, paranoid schizophrenic. And it's about like kind of their relationship and how the twin brother goes worse and worse. And it's really I from the acting crazy because you, the, the double role, his twin brother, is like um, 
way smaller than him and looks really kind of different. I don't know how they filmed that. Yeah, yeah. And and it's 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 a drama, but it's it has really like a weird dark undertone, and you just see see like kind of this demise of this person and how the other brother, like the wealthy brother, kind of tries to hold him. It's like really dramatic, but it's it's so good. And the soundtrack is um, from um, one of my favorite ambient albums from Harold Butt, The White Arcade. And it's, right. I was like, it's really like, I was like, what? Why do they choose exactly that soundtrack? And it was really like uh, goosebumps. And it's hard to, to, to explain really the narration because it's mainly you just see these, these brothers and how, how the one goes um, worse and worse. And, and then you have like flashbacks of their, how they grew up and with this troubled uh, relationship. Wow. And, yeah, I might right. check that out. I've, I just put it on my list. That's a it's a good it's a good cast as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I really like Mark Ruffalo. I think he's yeah, a really, yeah, really yeah. good actor. Yeah, I read him. He was great yeah. in Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. but also really, just really just generally like I'm I'm impressed how HBO still kind of really holds the quality so high with their yeah, series totally. production, yeah, totally. and they switch really into this short series format where they have only like series one season with six to maximum ten episodes. Sometimes that would is nice, like these old formats where you go like really deep over four seasons. But it seems like they know that the people don't have the patience anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've, I've just added that to my list. That sounds good. That cool. it's funny you should talk about people not having the patience anymore. I think that speaks to what we were saying earlier about how RPG games are shorter these days, and I think that kind of fits in mm. with people's shorter mm. attention spans in general. Yeah, yeah. It's so, funny. It's, it, I've, actually, before I came on here, I wrote three questions down, and uh, that tackles one. <laughs> which I had. It's like kind of what I ask always other people, like especially um, who, who are longer in the hobby than I am. Um, how do you manage like all of kind of this kind of overflowing interest in thousand games, which we all of course have, and manage it time-wise? Like because of course, I mean, it's a stupid old question, but it's you know like. I'm running now a campaign, a Warhammer campaign, and I know it will take me probably till the summer or so, or longer, I don't know how long. And then next to that, I'm trying to squeeze in one-shots, but then there are like three or four other games I would like to play. Like, how the fuck do you do that? And we're all games masters here. Of, of, of one-shots. Like, I, I like one-shots, but I'm really like, I, I like like developing characters really long. And it's just like, I mean, you need to play, uh, like, plan like two years ahead or when you want to play all of this stuff. <laughs> I think part of I think it's a really good question actually, and what I've noticed that that I've started doing, but not just the last couple of years, but over a, over a long period of time, is I set myself um, a goal of how long a game is going to last when I set it up. Mm. Um, you know, I decide whether it's going to be I'm going to play this for four weeks or ten weeks or whatever. And I think when you have that goal in mind, mm. then and everybody's on the same page, and you can start planning the thing you want to do after that knowing fine well that you're going mm. to finish because i think sometimes we can be guilty of just starting a game and that game just runs on and on and on yeah. until it until it peters out or people can't make it or um mm. and i think sometimes you can miss out on a on a good climax by yeah. um by not setting the end and i think an ending is that there's there's a lot i read about creating fiction and you need that ending that closure to feel like you've enjoyed the story and i think yeah. sometimes when we played a long campaign and you are robbed of that climax then it can be a little bit hollow whereas i think uh, when you when you if all the characters die or finally succeed and are retired from the game then for better or worse there is a there is an ending and that helps to place the beginning in the middle in context mm. makes totally sense it's actually an interesting point 
It's about so I, I think sometimes you can, even if even if you don't want to say, oh, it's going to be 10 sessions or 11 sessions, you can say, right, as soon as the party reaches Kislev and kills yeah. the king, yeah. then the game is finished. That's exactly actually what I did, um, like, because um, I mentioned it earlier before in the chat, but um, I kind of set it up quite freely, but um, they are dropped in the um, middle mountains, like on the other side of the empire, and they're all from Nolan. So right. it has the only overarching plot is that they want to get home. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think um, then that's good because I remember you saying it was almost like a, like the Odyssey, you know, yeah, and they yeah. can they can go to these weird places on the way home, but the end yeah. result is getting home. But make sure you yeah. don't fall into this kind of uh, quantum leap trap of never getting home, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because you, you, you want to be able to see progress towards the end and then the mm. players will know that they're on this journey. And the, as they get closer and closer, then we will feel the end. And even if the people are really enjoying the game, I, I'd say still finish the game, even if they're really enjoying it. Don't yeah, yeah. don't be lulled yeah. into like you know what some shows do is they overextend and do more seasons just because it gets popular and people are yeah, liking it. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. you can end up ruining it, you know. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, and I mean with games like this, um, it's also like always nice, even if the game ends, they can always have cameos in later games you play. Yeah. I mean, I'm already I'm already planning to to let. We played with the same group we finished last year. I ran with first edition. I ran Shadows over Bergenhafen for them. Oh, I love that. And and um, I'm already I'm already planning to have some cameos of their PCs showing up. <laughs> I I think you you strike a really interesting point here, and it's really valid. I think utilizing the games you've played um, to influence or become part of a greater universe that you play in later is so valuable. Um, because if you jump around from system to system, if you know you might play some warhammer this week and then two weeks later you're playing cyberpunk or whatever that's mm. fine but if you are playing different games in the same in the same universe then you can draw on this this patchwork that you've created yeah. to kind of make everything um everything more vibrant and deeper as you go on because you can end the game and start new characters even bring new players in even you know yeah, and then exactly. but yeah. if you can use the things that you've created then then that's if your game's just going to be better for it. And there are a lot of games that you can do that with, you know, whether it's Rifts or World of Darkness or yeah. uh, whatever these games that can, that there are a lot of crossover potential. Um, but that sometimes can be a good thing to to do, which is exactly what you're doing. But I think a lot of people don't do that, you know. Mm. I mean, there's nothing more fulfilling when you when you recognize how your world, which you over many games created, like kind of tangles up or like kind of meets each other. Like it's like a really fulfilling feeling that which which comes closest to taking part in the world building, even yeah. if you don't publish it, but it's kind of, it's it's just like the best moments. It can be a really hard thing to try and balance out playing one thing long enough to get that payback, that reward. Yeah, It's yeah. like playing characters because sometimes you want to take your character from level one all the way up to, I don't know, whatever, level 20. And there's Ooh. a real joy in that. But then the downside to that is you're stuck with one character for that long and you don't get to experience different roles. And, true, true. Um, so I think it can be really hard to get that balance right between <laughs> sticking with one thing and being able to enjoy the pile of books that we have in the corner that we've that we've bought and never played, you know, yeah. because that's a shame to just play one thing all the time, even how good it is, because, you know, you could discover something else. And, and But exactly, exactly that came actually from one of my players saying, um, um, I hope some of us die this time so we can also play other characters. <laughs> and I said, go for it, mate. <laughs> just go for it. <laughs> 
<laughs> he might as well be a troll slayer, just throw himself yeah. into death. But um, I, unfortunately, I never had someone rolling up a troll slayer. I was almost asking someone, does somebody want to do it? Like, just take a troll slayer. I never had one in any of my games. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it's I, re- I read a, um, an article that somebody wrote about the troll slayer and the history of the troll slayer and its development through um through warhammer through kind of second and third it was actually um brinton who wrote it mm-hmm. um and he wrote it for I, I don't think it went in i think he sent it to nate and nate was going to put it in somewhere or do something in a zine or whatever and um it never got done but anyway to get back to the point it, it was really interesting to see um the development of such an iconic character class and also what it represented kind of from a point of view of society um mm. you know that kind of post thatcherite britain yeah. um that that punk aesthetic which is clearly yeah. in the dwarf troll slayer um and the way that it it kind of rose and it arguably could be one of the most well-known characters of the old world by mm. the time you know you get a um got rick and felix um that there are there are not many other characters in the old world who are as iconic as that um and then to for that archetype to effectively disappear now as it's gone into age of sigma so um yeah it, it was really interesting but yeah the the translators are cool but it is it is really like a warmer invention right it, it didn't appear anywhere else similar no i mean i think when when you look at it the original influences will be obviously kind of nordic berserkers and and yeah, uh, that kind of thing but no as as a total product it's it's unusual in the fact that a lot of the early Warhammer stuff is taken directly from Tolkien. So you have dwarves who live gold, who live in mountains. You have goblins who are evil. You have elves who live in the woods. You know, it's all Tolkien. But this this idea of this dwarf troll slayer is so almost anti-Tolkien. Um, mm. And I guess that's the point because the troll slayer is a rebel from dwarf society, which is so rigid and regimented. Um, and it, it, it is a unique, it's a uniquely British thing as well, I think, as being a uniquely warhammer thing but obviously those two are are linked together because uh, mm. of gw's um history in in that time period that that british humor that british influence that that less, less the designers yeah yeah, totally. yeah yeah and it, it there's a lot of the early you know characters who it doesn't take long to find that gw were having a laugh with the names yeah. yeah, man. You know, I mean, what what do you think? How it is for me being German reading that? I'm, like, it's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's really like I just tried to imagine always the guys writing these books back then in the eighties and just pissing their pants while coming up with these German names. And I mean, I always when I run, um, uh, I always say like my 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 strong German accent is the true Reichspiel. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I imagine it. How they talk or not, like in the, in the empire, they talk with a crazy German accent. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's lost a bit. Warhammer's lost a little bit of that humor, and I think it's a shame really? because when you have these, you know, uh, Estalian bandilleros and uh, Tilians and and yeah. and it's they're almost stereotypes, but. Um, but they were they were done very well, and it was having that dark, almost Lovecraftian side to it. But then having that British, almost Tommy esque humour on Ooh. the other side was this perfect blend. And I think, unfortunately, it's lost that over the years. It started to take itself a bit too seriously. Yeah, we, we I mean, we, we, I think we wrote about it before, but um, and also with your post on Instagram, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> Thanks. But, um, 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 I mean, they really try. You have the feeling, also many people say, "Hey, yeah." Fourth edition really tries to go back to those roots, but it just doesn't work. I mean, it's really crazy. It just 
it's really like a try hard. Also, I, I read some of the modules just out of pure, pure interest, and um, they really, really try to 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 lean into this humor again. But it just there's something missing. I cannot even point my finger on it. But it's maybe also the art, which is horrible. Yeah, opinion. I think the mo the modern the the most recent Warhammer Fantasy roleplay products are so desperate to hit the nostalgia buttons. Yeah, that's that, everything. <laughs> yeah, that it, it becomes a parody of itself rather than a um, you know, a faithful representation, you know, that they, they, they just, they know there are some little iconic Easter eggs that people want to see and they're just throwing them in there. And be, because the writers and the designers and everything don't have the same background and the same, you know, feeling it, it's like a bunch of guys trying to write something that they know nothing yeah. about, unfortunately. Um, and what I, I'd have been more impressed if they just were bold enough to take it in a new direction and to yeah, say, look, yeah. these, these are the things that we're bothered about. But, but, we're going to put in the elements of what we care about, not what people cared about 30 years mm. ago. To, but to be fair, um, I mean, Graham Davis and all these guys, they are still involved in it. Um, of course, the question, how much they have to say, you don't know, but they are. Yeah, um, I think sometimes you can have people's names attached to it. And sometimes because yeah. they, they were responsible in writing the originals, then, you yeah, know. Yeah. But it's interesting that you say that because we're getting back to the point when I entered the conversation here with the same problem also with um, Blade Runner. And so it's like kind of this desperate try. Um, but as, as a bigger cult cultural problem of our time, like this kind of postmodern problem that it, there's nothing new. You can only refer to yeah and try hard and and we're really like in a state where this is on a peak <laughs> you know, like I, desperate try i constantly constantly find myself mourning about the fact that the rpg industry just repeats games that already exist and there's yeah. not enough fresh material like i don't need to see another version of vampire i don't need to see another version of legend of the five rings mm. i don't need a new version of cyberpunk i don't need a new version of Shadowrun. i don't need a new version of seventh sea i could go on and on and i'm not going to but many of the remakes of these classic games, Cult, Divinity, Lost, all this kind of stuff, inevitably fall short of the originals. And they're, they're just cashing in on nostalgia. Whereas if these writers are, are good enough, then create something new, you know, create a new. And mm. there are people doing new stuff. And I, and I recognize that. But it, when you come to the mainstream section of the RPG industry for the books that you will find in Forbidden Planet on the shelves or... Um, you know, any any big game store, Fanboy 3 in Manchester or whatever, um, predominantly would be Dungeons and & Dragons. And then every game you see will be a modern reprint of a classic. Yeah. And I think it's a, such a shame for the industry that we're, we're going through this kind of rehash um, where everything is glossy, hardback, beautifully done, but lacks any real soul because yeah. it, they've, they've lost touch with what the original are. I mean, look at the yeah. new Cyberpunk. I'm not, I'm not impressed with that at all. Yeah. Um, Shadowrun's just gone downhill as it as it continues to progress. I mean, I, um, you know, I'll, I'll get off my high horse in a moment, but I think the last time I looked at Shadowrun um, was kind of fifth edition, and 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 the big book is huge and a beautiful book, but I don't mind rules, but to me it was too complicated. Yeah, and I just I just mm. put it down. I just went, this is not. I'm not willing to upgrade from second or third or whatever to this because it's just too complicated. I can't teach players that to play this game. Yeah. Because it's too no, because I, I but, don't understand it. So yeah. how can they? But, yeah. but actually concluding that maybe it's just an, uh, the right thing for GW to do something like Age of Sigma. Maybe that was really consequent in a way. Even if I, I really dislike it, I don't, I'm not interested at all into it, but it's maybe a consequent way to 
to to get out of that problem which you described, you know? I think, you know, uh, we could talk for hours about why GW did Age of Sigmar. Yeah, but, yeah, it's also... Like, uh, but, but to bring it down to one sentence, I think, unfortunately, they had to. Um, they'd reached a, a creative dead end with Warhammer Fantasy, the mm. old world, and it, and it wasn't creating any money for them. And GW are, in essence, a business and are business interested right. in making money. So yeah. that's why they've done it. And I think the, the inevitable backlash to that and um, realizing that their money lies in nostalgia, which is what GW has really cashed in on the last 10 years particularly, um, has made them willing to go out and put so much money into a role-playing game set in the old world rather than say, sorry, guys, we killed that world. Here's yeah. the role-playing game set in the Mortal Realms, which does exist. You know, that Soul Bond is, is out there. Um, but it's not gaining anywhere near as much traction as the new version of Warhammer because GW know when they're onto a good thing and they want to reinvent, you know, what, what they've done. But it wasn't making them any money. And I, and I think in time, Age of Sigmar will will have to disappear. I, I can't see it being a long-lasting thing, unfortunately. But it is rather successful. Or... I, do, I, I don't know if it is, if I'm honest. Um, uh, overall, in terms of what GW considers successful and not successful. I mean, anything GW produce outsells all other miniatures companies so mm. fr from a from a bank statement point of view yes age of sigmar is successful because it sells but gw can afford to make it successful and afford to make it look successful um whether it exists whether we're talking about age of sigmar in 20 years the way that people are now talking about warhammer and rogue trader and stuff i, I just don't think that's going to happen yeah so Ooh. one thing i have noticed with um age of sigmar and ninth edition 40k this was a point that we picked up on in the dungeon punks discord um which body you should definitely hang out in it's pretty fun but <laughs> uh, we never see you in there but um we were talking about how ninth edition 40k has been emphasizing the marines versus necrons like the good versus bad <clears throat> very easily identifiable at a glance you can see what's going on and then i went over to age of sigmar and realized that it's essentially the same thing. Now you've basically got good guys versus bad guys at a glance, and there's 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 no more of this kind of cultural amalgamation that there was in the earlier editions and like gray, morally gray areas. It's, they're very kind of delineated now. What you can see at a glance, how the the two main armies that they're putting all their efforts in appear um, in terms of the color schemes as well as the design. Like Stormcast Eternals are essentially Primaris now, aren't they? And the, yeah, yeah. the same with the bad guys, and you've got the Necrons and the Tomb Kings or whatever else. So it's, it's, it's almost like they are um, adapting towards a bigger market to make money, like Jamie was saying, but not in any way that has any kind of personality to it. If the two, if Warhammer 40k and Warhammer Fantasy become so similar like they are now, they're going down the same path. It's almost like there's no difference between the two games anymore at all, really. Mm. Like they're just they are they are is literally becoming a cash cow because they found a formula that works and they're taking that formula and using it across both games now instead of yeah instead yeah. of having the two kind of actual different personalities you know well I don't think it's too reductive to say that they just put Space Marines in fantasy because I mean that yeah. that is what they did yeah. and any anyone who looks at it knows that and why would you not take your most successful miniature line from 40k and put it in in a fantasy game I mean you would. And, and I would argue that Stormcast is probably a very um, popular faction for people who play Age of Sigmar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you've got something that works, just repeat it. And that's all they've done. It's weird, though, because um, 
few years back, we were we had a uh, sort of like a game day. Dungeon Punch guys got to go and did a game day. It might have been Coram actually. It's that far back. Did a game day at Warhammer World, and we we all set up in a corner and we all had our armies out yeah, and playing. What's the difference between Warhammer and Dungeon Punch, mate? There's a difference. So. <laughs> 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 so we 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 had we had this table and we were playing away, and we looked over to the table next to us, and there's a bunch of kids playing, and we noticed they had like a reserved like sticker on the table. And then sort of like, I think Nate or Kev glanced at it and they were like, that reserve sticker says John Blanche. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, it does. And then, so all these kids are playing away. The next thing, this fella comes over, mo- motorcycle vest, you know, ball and that. It's fucking John Blanche and it's his kids playing on the table next to us. Wow. And he comes over and I've got, um, I've got an Ultramarines um, second edition, basically second edition army that I, 40k second edition hour and I play with dreadnoughts and everything. And he comes over and he goes, Oh, I've not seen one of them for a while. Mm. I was like, yeah, yeah. And then we just started chatting to John Blanche for like 40 minutes about war. Nice. No, nice. yeah. So I just chatting away with him and he's like, Oh, it's really nice to meet you all. And then his kids go off and then they start getting start getting these other fellas come over, these older fellas, and it's uh they start getting all this shit out and putting it on the table, and it's like airfix model planes, ping pong balls on like um flying stands and they start and they just started they were just playing this game that they'd made up and it was like it was John I can't remember it was it was like John Blanche and I want to say it was it was oh I can't remember who else was there but it was like two or three of the old like old writers and like a couple of other of their mates playing this game with like fucking unpainted ping pong balls on flying stands <laughs> like air, air fixed fighter planes like spitfires and stuff it was fucking mental did one of you guys ever um uh, attended boyle in nottingham this um what is it what is it called speaking out um bring on your let i think is it called oh yeah 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 i know what you mean yeah or bring your old let yeah old yeah, yeah yeah it's like the, it's uh, kind of this old time old time gathering in the war games foundry um Thing. yeah the last time we had we had we did an event at um the foundry actually with uh like a carmon and the weekend after they were doing a bring out your lead mm. bring out your lead thing there but yeah, yeah i have not been to one of the actual events it looks fun on the images but i'm also thinking yeah. i'm a little bit i'm too young for that <laughs> 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 this is like these old guys there um, um, but it's a lot of amazing stuff like yeah, the images looks fun yeah totally and you get if you go as well they take you on a tour around the Around the um, around the museum, mm. and then they take you. They normally take you for a tour around the uh, casting factory as well. No, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and they have all. He's, have he's stuck. He's, mate, honestly, if you rock up to the foundry, it, but obviously you can't do that now. But yeah, if you yeah. ring him and tell him you're going to go, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Who, who runs it? I can't remember what his name is. <laughs> um, yeah, the founder of um, the original founder of Citadel. What's his name again? Joe, when you have an absolute mind. Is it Brian Ansel. Yeah, Brian, Brian Ansel. Brian Ansel. Yeah, so, so when we we turned up to have a look at it for this event that we were going to do, so his missus met us there, and she's like, "Oh, Brian's out for the day, but like his son's called Marcus, think he's all this one." He's like, "Oh, he'll take you for a tour around." And we just turned up on spec, so he took us around the museum, then took us in the in the casting factory and showed us how they cast all the miniatures, showed us all the old molds, and he's like, "Yeah, take take whatever you want, take some figures if you want, whatever." <laughs> yeah. So then we had an event there. And and like Brian came down and did like a little talking shit and and took wow. everyone else around the 
around the museum and then around the around the molding factory and stuff. Yeah, it was cool. They've yeah. really got they really go out of your, out of their way to like treat people like so yeah. so well. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I guess yeah. maybe you could argue that's that's the strength they've got that GW don't have anymore. You know? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's yeah. a shame. I tell you what, guys, I'm going to pop off because uh, my phone's right. ringing. But I'll speak that's to you all right. later. Good to speak Cheers, to you, man. Mate. Good to speak to you, mate. Hey guys. Bye, man. Before I'm also hanging um, off, I'm, I'm actually. Are you open for some for for two more questions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just about to ask you what your questions were, man. So tell us. Yeah, like one we already talked about. Then another thing is, uh, I thought about after we wrote, I think shortly about confrontation in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really thinking about narrative-focused miniature games um, like Confrontation, Inquisitor, and how I'm referring like to, really to my experiences with my boys here in Berlin. We are playing a lot with. Um, how exactly do you prevent the games becoming competitive and less narrative-focused? Because I have the experience, we're all like kind of on the same page with my people here in Berlin that we are kind of prefer way more um, narrative games. But it, with miniatures, it always tends to be competitive at the end, and it's and then you end up with like. Okay, why are we, do, are we actually doing the miniature game then? Because like you also reach the limit where you think then we could also play tabletop RPGs, and there's like really this where's the middle ground, you know? Like, and what's the charm of actually playing more narrative-based? Um, I mean, I have answers to that, of course, but I'm curious what you would say. Um, well, I mean, from my point of view, um, a narrative skirmish miniature game is a hybrid between a, a, a role-playing game and a, and a tabletop mm. game. So. To your answer to the the comment of why are we not just playing an RPG, I mean, you are, but there are many RPGs that use tactical combat, whether it be Pathfinder or modern Mm -hmm. D&D, where you get out the map and you get out the minis. I mean, D&D 4th is very tactically um, heavy and might as well be a miniatures game half the time. So I think with something like Inquisitor, um, I think it's okay to see it as you are just playing out the combat section of the yeah. adventure and i've run lots of inquisitor where i've done some talking sections and some almost like role playing for 10 yeah. 15 minutes then i've set the board up as almost to like set the scene then we've kind of played and through the session as the miniatures are kind of being played on the tabletop and then once the battle is finished you can kind of drop back into narrative time and finish the session or as you set up the, the you reset the board up to be a different location and you play mm-hmm. a series of, of little skirmishes. But I think the way that I would um, stop n- narrative skirmish games becoming competitive is to do away with any idea of points values, even if the game has them. Um, mm-hmm. Inquisitor, for example, has a ready reckoner for points. I think it's not worth even looking at because yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, it was an afterthought that was put in there and, and I think actually does more harm than good. And I think also is to make sure that the, the battles are asymmetric. So saying that, you know, I've got five guys, so you have to have five guys, I think is kind of the beginning of the problem. I think you might say, well, look, you know, you only have two guys and I have like 12 or whatever. I know you're not going to win. It's more about how you how you lose or can you escape or whatever. Ooh. The I think the, the goal is to have a mission objective or an objective for the session that isn't, isn't simply lining up two sets of troops and firing at each other. Um, and I think that's something that Warhammer 40K has tried to do desperately over its many incarnations um, to try and put a, a more narrative focus into the games. Um, and they try really hard now with the three ways to play, you know, narrative, yeah, open, yeah. matched. 
But I think traditionally what they've always tried to make the, the mission that you're playing have some sort of plot around it. And I think when it takes to Inquisitor, plot is all, plot is king. That is what it's, that, that's the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that that's how I would stop something being competitive. And I think almost the game has to be set up by, by a GM. It can be very hard for two players to turn up with mm-hmm. gangs and fight each other because they're, you are looking for some sort of balance because it, it, at the end of the day, you play a game to see who's going to win when you play a tabletop game. Whereas we have a different mentality when we sit down and play an RPG because we're not looking to win. So I think it's more about sitting down with the miniatures, assuming you're playing a role-playing game, not sitting down with you know uh, the miniatures and, and thinking you're playing a, uh, a game where there can be a winner and a loser. Hmm, that's a good point. You think having a games master has something to do with that as well, as opposed to just player versus player, having a mediator? I think so, yeah. I think a, a, an impartial games master can make very quick rules decisions that should be unbiased, can control NPCs in the environment, um, and just might provide for a, a, an overall better play experience in a, in a narrative game. I yeah. think as well, having a games master there, especially one particularly skilled at um, pick, creating images in people's heads, and it's not just you pushing the base across the table and rolling some dice, actually saying, oh, Ooh. so he, he dives through the window, guns blazing, da, 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 or Ooh. his gun clicks, it's cold. You know, like actually keeping the narrative in the players' minds while they're worrying about the rules keeps that narrative first and keeping that the, the story going first and foremost behind the mechanics and everything else that's kind of driving yeah. the story that you're making together. Because it's very I, I, easy, I've found, in Warhammer games for people to just go, I want to move these guys here so that they can shoot these guys and win and then having someone else describe it as if you're watching a movie or something will keep you in mind oh yeah there is actually there's actually the story going on I'm, I'm creating something else for dramatic or Ooh. cinematic effect as opposed to just i want to beat this guy's i think a gm helps for sure. I, I really have the feeling that uh, at least from the games i we play a lot uh, more time does um in my experience the best job in um, um approaching this narrative aspect also with the mechanic with mechanics you know like that you feel like even without forcing or role-playing any scenes in there, you have a almost narrative um, experience while playing it. Those are my favorite yeah. kinds of miniature games. The ones yeah, for me too. Like, it's really, like more times it became really like the game we play the most. I mean, we jump over to whatever other games, but this is really like um, the go-to game at the end of the day. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right with Mordheim. I think it's, it's an excellent little game. And I think part of Mordheim's strength is that the, a lot of the forces are very balanced, um, and to some more, extent, <laughs> to, to some extent, obviously there are always going to be um, to be little elements that can be broken in any game. But I think the fact that Mordheim has a humanocentric approach, rather than trying to encapsulate all of the races of the old world, makes it a lot mm. easier to balance, especially traditional Mordheim, where you know it, it's all about whether my my band is from Nuln or Middenheim or wherever, rather than saying well. I have lizard men and you have augurs and you know it's very hard to balance from that point of view but I think when everybody's human um to to one degree or another um then it all becomes about armament and skill and tactics and I think that's that, that's Mordheim's strength and obviously I I realize there are skaven in there and all that kind of stuff but uh, essentially 
the all the combatants share a similar kind of stat line to, to a lesser or greater degree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a good reason for that the game is, till today, has such a strong fan base. It's crazy. Yeah. Ari, might it be awesome uh, once things free up a little bit if you come down to Warhammer World and we all meet up there for some, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, some games. Yeah. Oh, proper yeah. cool, man. Yeah. That's, that's anyways high on my list. I mean, um, Warhammer World, I never did it. So it's, it's high on my list, definitely. So what, what, was the, huh? what was what was your third question? My third question is squeezing you for a suggestion for for my campaign. So are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm just gonna read out um, um, a, a scenario um, with a cliffhanger, and you're just gonna go on for me. Um, <laughs> okay, let's do it. You, I, I, I'm curious what comes out. You know, listen. After barely escaping slavery in a night of horrors in the tangled woods of Sylvania, the adventurers reach the bleak village of Teufelheim. On the look for a place to rest and stay for the night, they find a rundown tavern with a landlord serving only a disgusting smelling gruel and rotgut liquor. On top, of the own, on top of that, the only guest room is occupied by an ominous person going by the name of Ludger van Belling. The landlord offers the party to stay in the barn if they agree to clean the pig stable in return. Having no money and no other option, they without hesitation take the deal. After taking a goblet full of rotgut, uh, of course, on, on, on the house, the pigs turn out to be heavily mutated and living from just the same as the landlord and his guests gruel and rotgut. The next morning, the party runs into Ludger van Belling, the only guest of the house, who turns out to be an initiate of Moor and vampire hunter from Ostermark. He offers guidance on leaving this horrible land, but only if the party in return agrees to spy on a nearby garden of Moor after sunset. The session ended here, and my question to you now is, what do the adventurers, adventurers witness at the graveyard after sunset that the vampire hunter could be interested in? <laughs> Okay, right. My first thing is, have they seen the vampire hunter during the day? Um, yeah, but only okay. inside of this um, tavern. Like True, they come in the, the morning and he just sits there in the corner and has breakfast, and then they then they right. approached him obviously, and then got into a really um, awkward conversation with him. Because my and my he first... looks like a he looks like a child. Right. <laughs> my, my first instinct would be to have the witch the the vampire hunter. As a vampire, um, uh, that would be my first instinct, and the, maybe he doesn't have access to his previous temple or his previous church because he's now cast out. But he's still trying to do the good work of more um, and kill vampires. And maybe he was only recently turned, or maybe he's in the process of being turned. Um, and really, what he what he needs the help with is maybe overcoming this curse or um, kind of killing the vampire who created him, or however you want to treat vampires in your game. But um, my instinct would have been to make the mysterious sleeper upstairs a vampire. But if the characters have already seen him in the light and that's impossible, then maybe you can you can do a switch on them and have have him turned into a vampire the next session and um, and either need the, the player characters to assist him in getting rid of his curse or then he becomes the enemy. Um, but if you didn't want to go that way with either of the vampires, um, and he's asking the characters to spy on the on the, the Garden of Moor, then maybe it could be one of the vampire hunter's relatives who has been turned Ooh. into a member of the undead, and he's looking for for help in in 
protecting them or, or saving them or or something which maybe his fellow uh, initiates might frown on. So he has to get somebody else to do mm. it for them. Uh, it reminds mm. me of when in zombie movies, when they, you keep a relative in the house because you don't want to kill them. But um, it's very hard to, um, you know, they are a zombie essentially. So you have them chained up in the shed or something. And yeah. so, so maybe it could be could be something like that. The, the vampire hunter has a either a personal secret or a family secret that um, mm. that that could be. So that that would be my first instinct, and mm-hmm. to, to play on this to play on this unusual character. Interesting. Great. Thanks, man. Whereas, I like um, you mentioned the rot gut and the gruel that everyone's eating, and <laughs> even the pigs are eating that as well. So maybe they find that it's a kind of soylent green situation, and they actually mm. come, come across the uh, origin of where this gruel and this rot gut is being made, and it's actually something more sinister. You know, maybe it's maybe there's vampire blood in the food or something else. So mm. you mentioned the food enough for me to latch onto that as a as a plot hook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like with, with Sylvania in the lore, it's kind of, um, you, you really can go many ways how you portray it. But I was like, overall, like um, having more the feeling to keep the appearances of vampires a little more subtle. Um, they, I mean, they should show up, obviously, but it's more yeah. subtle. And it's more like a really twisted land where and maybe even the nobles are not all vampires. It's more like kind of um, Elizabeth Bathory-like, you yeah. know, like kind of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought more in this direction. And then there, maybe the nobles are aware of the vampires and would actually like to be vampires but they're just twisted nobles who torture um, peasants and whatever and and then you have also the uh, really interesting um, plot um, possibility with the strigani which are the um we using no not politically correct terms gypsies in the warmer world <laughs> yeah and, you could even um, have you could even have the vampire hunter um if he was a vampire or even if he wasn't you could have his his lost love being a ghost maybe mm. in the graveyard and it, the, the characters have to, you know, find some way to lay her to rest or something, you know? It, it, I was going in, in a direction like this. It's, it's kind of cheesy, but I mean, it's also sometimes cheesy, sometimes good. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I thought they come there and then they, um, they, they um, uh, witness a group of Strigani um, meeting up with a um, young noble guy coming on a horse and, he is like someone who, who lost um, a loved one and with the help of these Strigani people does a ritual to talk to the ghost some, somehow. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and they are, then they have to decide if, if they're going to approach them without attacking them and uh, just talk to them, they maybe find out that they're just um, not the bad guys and the vampire and they may be the bad guy, blah, blah. They kind of, yeah, they yeah I think it, moral. it's, yeah, it's a classic thing that, you know, whoever you expect to be the bad guys, great. Let's, yeah. make them the, let's make them actually the good guys and the good guys are actually the bad guys. I think, yeah. you know, that it's always fun to do that. The good thing is with role-playing games, generally, like, uh, cliches really often just work, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> They're cliches for every reason. reason. Yeah. yeah. In, yeah, a, in a movie, you would be maybe annoyed by it, but in role-playing games, it's often just what really works well. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's, uh, that, that, that was that was quite a good input. It's I, I really like. I it's always I try to end this. I mean, it's all technique, I guess. But ending a session with a cliffhanger like this, where I myself don't even know. <laughs> that was <laughs> really the great, whole week. Now, okay, fuck. What 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 are they actually um, doing there? Put yourself but, on the spot. I like it. Testing your yeah. GM skills. It's good. So yeah. sounds, yeah, it sounds like a great game, man. Yeah, it does. Cool. You have to come back and let us know uh, how the, how the cliffhanger proceeds. Whatever you decide to do, and. Uh, yeah. in, 
how the next session goes, you can come back and ask yeah. us again for more advice about where to proceed from yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> and you are actually the, the secret nobility in the back of my game who, who controls the game. Will <laughs> <laughs> be your Illuminati, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, that's a good ending. Um, I think I also have to attempt some um, uh, cooking here for my for, for me and my girlfriend and um, end the weekend. Yeah, um, Ari, mate, always nice to talk to you, man. Thank yeah. you very much for coming to hang Thanks out. Thanks so much, guys. Listen, uh, looking forward to the next um, episode. Yeah, cool. nice Thanks, one, mate. Have, cool. have a nice afternoon, man. Thank you very you much. Too. Bye. Cheers.